Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 86, and let's uh, open in prayer. Father, I thank you again, Lord, for this uh, time to come together. Lord, we're, we're here, Lord, to worship you. We're here to, to glorify you, uh, to lift you up, Lord, tonight. I thank you, Lord, uh, for this church. I thank you for those that you've brought into this uh, fellowship here. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that Lord, you would pour out your spirit upon us uh, tonight as a church body uh, refreshes, Lord, fill us, feed us from your word, Lord, tonight together. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, uh, at times I, I, I feel even as I'm going through a book that I, I need to uh, step away. Uh, from a book and, and do something as the Lord leads. And I felt led uh, really uh, for this Sunday to do that. And uh, the Lord has really been putting a couple of verses on my heart lately. And Kathy was, was reading a devotion and we were talking and I, I felt led uh, to go to this Psalm 86 uh, tonight. And I think it's an important message uh, for us individually as, as Christians. I put a title, as I normally do, to this message, O Lord, be merciful to me. And I think just with those words alone, you know, thinking of your own uh, walk with the Lord, however many years you've been walking with Christ, you probably have maybe said those words at some point in your God, be merciful to me. And um, this particular psalm, it's a, it's a prayer, we might say, of David. King David. It's a prayer of David. Um, it's uh, one of these psalms that uh, nobody knows for sure at what point this was in, in David's life. Uh, we don't know on what occasion that he sat and, and began to, to write this psalm, but it is attributed to David. But we do know that uh, the particular occasion in which he wrote this psalm, that there was a, a great need in his life. And we're going to see that as we, as we go through this psalm. We see uh, David bringing out a number of petitions, uh, prayer requests, we might say, before God in this psalm. But one of the ones that stands out as he petitions God in, in this prayer is, be merciful to me. And he says that actually about four times through this psalm. Be merciful to me. We know that King David, his life was actually filled with a lot of trials, tribulations, he had uh, times in his life of great heartache, running from the Philistines, running from Saul, and even running from his own son, Absalom. He had a life of mountaintops, and he had a, a life of great defeats, like most of us. We, too, when we see these words, be merciful to me, uh, should be ones that we should love to hear. 
because our God is merciful. And, our, and, and it's really, if it weren't for God's mercy in our life, would any of us be here even now? I read in Psalm 103, in verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That brings a perspective, doesn't it? When we think about just the very nature and the character of who God is, a very merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding, it says, in mercy towards us. But then He remembers that we are but dust. There was one person that put a title to this psalm, the mercy seat. And I like that. I almost thought well, I, I should title it that. The mercy seat. And here we have David crying out to the Lord for His mercy upon him. Look at verse 3 in this psalm. He says, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Look at verse 13. For great is your mercy towards me. Look at verse 16. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. David praying and crying out to God for God's mercy in his life. We read in Psalm 118, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good for His mercy endures forever. I think that would be a great memory verse. Psalm 118, verse 1. We've been kicking that one around for a while. Also in Lamentations 3.22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. That's the God that we serve. That's, you know, think about that. That's, that's the God that created the heavens and the earth that is a God that is full of love, full of mercy, full of grace towards us, towards just people that are mere dust. In the 150 Psalms that we have in our Bibles, there's one word that is very personal in all of the Psalms. It's the word me. It's a, it's a personal pronoun. And actually, this word me, if you were to look it up, it's actually found 673 times in the Bible. 
Out of those 673 times, 460 times we find it in the book of Psalms. 35 of those times are found in this psalm that we're looking at tonight. Why do I say that? Because this psalm is a very personal psalm. It's actually allowing us to to really get into the heart, really, of David as he pours out and he cries out his heart before God. Have mercy upon me. He personalizes it. He brings it home to self. We also see in this psalm that David acknowledges the Lord. Actually, four times we see God translated Lord with capital letters throughout this psalm. It's the word Jehovah. And then we also see the word Lord Yahweh, which is with the upper and lower cases as we read through this psalm. And that word Yahweh is a word for God that means master. It means sovereign Lord in our life. It's a way of reverencing God. It's a way of respecting God and honoring God. And we see David not only referred to him as, as Lord, which is also translated Jehovah. It's translated God in our English translations. But here he says Lord numerous times as we go through this upper and lower case, showing his awe and his reverence for God, his respect for God. It's kind of like Jesus teaching His disciples on that Sermon on the Mount when He was teaching them really the principles for prayer. He says in this manner, He says, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name, or holy is Your name. And as Christians, we learn, don't we? And I think one of the best ways that we learn prayer is not only through the instruction of God's Word, but it's reading the prayers. It's, it's actually sitting with others that are praying. Have you ever heard somebody that maybe has been a Christian for a long time lifting up those prayers before God and you're saying, man, I'm learning something right now. How this person is interacting with God. How they are lifting up these things before God. And we actually learn from listening in to the prayers of others. We learn also just by reading the prayers of the saints that have lifted up prayers through the Old Testament and the New. Look at your Bibles now at Psalm 86, verse 1. David says, Bow down your ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Look how he approaches God. Look how he comes into the presence of God. He's actually crying out to God and asking God, to bow down your ear, Lord, and hear me. Notice it's all capital letters there for Lord. David, in a sense, is calling for Jehovah to stoop down from heaven and to open his ear to his cry. That's quite the way to approach God. That's putting him in his proper perspective, isn't it? As he's there on his throne, And he's asking him to, so to speak, stoop down and hear his prayer, hear his cry to him. Started thinking about 
this word Lord and, and how David is addressing God here. And I, and I started thinking he's, he's addressing him because in this way because he's the one that laid the very foundations of the earth. He's the one whose right hand is spread out across the heavens. He's the one who measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. And with the breath of his hand, he marks out and marks off the heavens. We're told, for in his hand are the depth of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. This awesome, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present God is the one that David is approaching here. Would you bow down and hear my prayer? He says, For I am poor and I'm needy. You see, there's something in those words. It's bringing the contrast between who God is and who we are. And how we should approach God in prayer. Knowing that He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth, there's nothing too hard for God. But we're poor and needy. We're but dust. We need to see God in that perspective. You see, if God is not that awesome to you when you enter into your time of prayer with Him, you might be limiting even the hand of God. He is awesome, powerful, all-knowing. He knows your circumstances. He knows every trial that you're in the middle of. There's nothing too hard for Him. That's the God that we call out to, that we cry out to. And you know what? I believe that God is glorified when we see ourselves like He sees us, when we bring it into perspective, how does God really view us? Well, we know that He sees us as dust, really, as as we're just flesh. But He loves us. He, He has compassion upon us. He's merciful towards us. He's slow to anger towards us. When we see ourselves standing in the light of His glory, we might have a better perspective of me and Him. We know who He is. And we know who we are. And I think that's the perspective that we should have whenever we enter in to prayer. Remember back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, When God created the heavens and the earth, we're told that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And then we read in Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame, and then it says, and He remembers that we are but dust. Just think of that when you enter into prayer. Uh, You know, we're poor and needy. We, we, We can't do anything apart from Him. And we approach God in, in, in that way. But God, You are able. God, You can intervene into my life, into this situation. God, I need Your mercy. I need Your grace to do anything that would glorify you. On Friday evening, we had our Zoom fellowship, I call it. 
And we were reading out of Ecclesiastes 3.20. This is what it says. All go down to one place. All are from the dust. And all return to the dust. That's our makeup. We're but dust. But God sees us as more than... He, he calls us a child of God. You know, he, he, he looks at us as His children. Or that relationship that we have with the living God. But we need to see that perspective. David says to God, Bow down your ear, O Lord, to, O Lord hear me, for I am poor and needy. I, I just get this picture in my, in my mind's eye of God just, so to speak, bending down here to earth to hear David pray, to hear his cry from his heart. We read in the book of Revelation a warning about those that maybe don't see themselves as poor and needy, but they belong to a church. They're in a church, but they don't see their state. They don't see the place that they're in. It's that church of Laodicea. It's that lukewarm church that we read in the seven letters to the seven churches. And the warning against them was, because you say I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing, And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, there are some that are even in the church that don't have that right perspective of what they look like, what what they're made of, who they are. They don't even understand that they're really miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Lord, hear me, David says. I am poor and needy. And I don't think that King David, if it was a point in his life, I don't think he was poor. Materially, he wasn't poor. But he saw himself poor in the eyes of God. He saw himself as needy in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter what status you are, how great you are in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God, He saw himself as poor and needy. And that leads King David in the next four verses that we'll look at here, that leads King David to say what he's about to say in his prayer to God. He says, preserve my life. He he is the one who extends mercy to me. He's the one uh, that can rejoice the soul of of your servant in verse 4. He's the one who is ready to forgive and is abundant in mercy in verse 5. God, would you bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. David goes on in verse 2. It appears that whatever place David was in as he was writing this psalm, that it was a desperate place. Have you ever found yourself in those places in life? A place of desperation, a place of great need. 
It, we might say it was a time of trouble for David. A time maybe when his life was in danger. This may be, it may have been a psalm that may have often even rolled off the lips of our Lord. This psalm, if you look at it, it might even have some prophetic significance to it of our Lord. Remember, Jesus was the Word. And He, I believe, He even prayed these truths in God's Word. And you can read as you're reading through this psalm, you can see those things even of our Lord. Preserve my life. It says in verse 2, For I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Some people have been troubled by verse 2. Here's David saying, God, preserve my life. For I am holy. And, and, and that, that's where they, they struggle. For I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Some have thought to say that what's really being said here is that God really, uh, that David is really saying not so much that he is holy or perfect, but that he is calling out to God who is holy, who is perfect, but that God sees him because he's his, one of his. He sees him as holy. Just like God calls you a saint. Did you know that? You're referred to as a saint in Scripture. Paul used that word quite often in his letters. And you know what the word uh, saint means? A holy one. That God sees you as a holy one. He sees you as a saint. Not because you are holy in perfection in all that you do and how you live, but He sees you by the sheer fact that you're a child of God, that you've been born again, that you're His. He sees you as a saint. He sees you as a holy one. David in Psalm 61 wrote, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Selah. I think David, and we're, we're, we can learn so much by, by, by reading and looking how David approached God. Somebody that we knew was not perfect. He failed miserably at many points in his life. But we can learn and, and, and see the intimacy that David had with his God. We're in a time of uncertainty. The whole world is. We're surrounded by this pandemic that's around us with a lot of uncertainty. You know, we're, people are waiting for the vaccine to come out. I hope none of us are sitting on the edge of our seat waiting for a vaccine. Matter of fact, I don't want the vaccine. <laughs> but I hope we're not sitting waiting for that as if that's our hope. To be under the shelter of His... My eyes are on the Lord. He's my refuge. He's the one that I'm going to be looking to. He's the one that holds me. We should be crying out to God, God, preserve our life. 
God, that your hand would be upon me and upon my family, my children, my loved ones. God, I trust you with my life. But this world, without Christ, they're looking for it. Give us some hope. Give us something. And it's not looking like it's going in that direction. David cries out to his God with supplications, which are just prayer requests. We make them before with God all the time. Preserve my life. Save your servant. Be merciful to me. Rejoice the soul of your servant. I like the way that's put. Rejoice the soul of your servant. It's a cry of David's heart. And when is the last time that you could say that in your prayer you really sensed you were crying out to God? What does that look like? For somebody to to be in a state of prayer with God and really just pouring out your heart before God. Seeing yourself for who you are and seeing Him for who He is and making your requests before God. Verse 2, Preserve my life for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant. Those words alone, they're they're David's confidence in his God. That God was the one who was able to save. God is the one who is able to keep. David continues on in verse 3. He says, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. It sounds to me like a pretty desperate state in life for David. I'm crying out to you all day long. I'm I'm making prayers to you, God, throughout the day. And be merciful to me, Lord. That's one of those upper and lower case. He's in awe. He's in respect. He's in reverential fear of the God that he's speaking to. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I cry to you all day. He goes on in verse 4, Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. David knew that it was only God who could rejoice his soul. It's the only place that could fill his his soul, his heart, with that joy. That joy of rejoicing. God, would you, I I, I need your joy to fill me, to lift up my soul, to lift me up when I'm in those down times in life. I need to be lifted up by you, God. You know, sometimes other people can't do it, can they? Sometimes we run to other people to kind of give us a boost and lift us up. Get us out of the pit, so to speak. Get us out of the depression. Get us out of the the state that we're in. And it's only you, Lord, that can really lift up my soul. That you would rejoice the soul of your servant. David, in a sense, is praying to God, gladden. That's another word that we could... Give to that. Gladden my soul. Make me glad 
And that's something that we need to be quick to do when you find yourself in that place, to run to the Lord, to cry out to Him, to say, God, would you rejoice my soul? Would you, would you bring me out of this state that I'm in? Nehemiah 8.10 says, For the joy of the Lord is my strength. I need His joy. David said in Psalm 21.1, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. You see, if he's your Savior... He wasn't just the Savior of you when you gave your life to Him. He's your Savior today. And He's your Savior going forward. And, and, and God's strength is what we need to draw upon. We need your strength. We need you, Lord. For unto you, Lord, I lift my soul. All of what David is asking in these verses, in these words, is based upon what he knows about his God. You see how important it is to know God? To know his character, his nature, who he is really? Not who we think he is, but who is God? What does the Word of God say about who God is? David had a good understanding of the very nature of God, and it, and it had an effect on how he approached God. He knew his God. And he knew that his God knew him inside and out. Look at verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. It sounds like David's convinced of that, isn't it? It sounds like as he's crying out to his Lord and saying, You're good. You're ready to forgive. And, and so, you know, there's times when you, I don't know if he wants to, for, I don't know if he can forgive me. I don't know if he can. He's ready to forgive. He's good. He's abundant in mercy towards us. You know, I like the word abundant. He's not just, he's abundant in mercy. His mercies are new every day. Is this a promise that you hold on to? Is it a promise that you take to your own heart as a Christian? If you call upon Him and you acknowledge Him for who He is and what He's able to do in your life, then you know what? Then we receive. If we don't, if we don't acknowledge those things about Him, His nature, then do we receive? And there's a lot of times we go on for a long time not really receiving because we're not even sure who He is and what He's able, what He's done, and what He still wants to do. God's grace, His mercy, His patience, His love, His compassions fail not. He is faithful and always ready to forgive. That's a whole bunch of truth right there that we should hold on to. Lamentation 3.21 this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
David then cries out to Jehovah in verses 6 to 10. It's really David repeating before God. He's crying out once again, capital L-O-R-D. He's calling out. He's crying out to God. He says in verse 6, give ear. Why does he say it again? He's saying, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplication. David says, hear me, God. Have you ever said that to the Lord? God, would you hear me right now? God, would you listen into the supplication from my heart? I'm trusting, God, that you hear me now. God, would you bow down and open your ear to hear me now? And and do you think that God is glorified in that? I think He is. I think He wants to see us as people that are mere dust being dependent upon Him. I'm poor and I'm needy. I need you in my life. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Attend to the voice of my supplication. In the day, verse 7, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you. For you will answer me. That sounds like some real confidence there. In the day of my trouble, I'll call upon you. And you'll answer me. Do we have that strong confidence that God, when he hears you, he's going to answer God is going to answer everything that you put before Him. It may not always be the answer we want, but God will answer. God will come through. Look at verse 8. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And he doesn't just say uh, that you have done wondrous things, but you do wondrous things. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that did wondrous things in David's day is still doing wondrous things in our day as we call upon Him. I think as Christians, we need to learn that when we pray, we need to pray God's Word. Do you know what I mean by that? We need to pray truth. We need to pray the truths of God's Word. We need to pray the promises of God's Word. You find a promise in God's Word, and you inject that into your prayer before God, do you know what you're doing? You're putting God into a place of being accountable to what He has promised in His Word. You ever put God in a place where you're making Him accountable? God, your Word says. And and here's the promise that you gave to me from your Word. And God, I'm going to stand upon what I know, not what I'm feeling right now, not if I think that you're going to, you know, but God, I'm going to stand upon what I know. You see, it's all acknowledging who He is. 
and, and coming before Him and, and, and glorifying Him by acknowledging Him. God loves it when we exercise that kind of faith and confidence in Him. I guess the opposite of that is that, you know, those that don't ask in faith, those that, that don't ask in faith, and will they receive anything of the Lord? I mean, if, if we're just coming before God, just kind of hoping and thinking that He might hear this, He might do something. But we need to call out to God as a God who is able. And then see that God won't move in your prayers and in my prayer. Paul in Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And then it says this, according to the power that works in us. God is able. And how many times have you been blown away with Him coming through and doing something even above and beyond what you thought that He was going to do or that you even asked Him for? And then He turns around and blesses you with something that was even more so than you could have ever thought. And then you're just rejoicing and you're, you know, God, wow, you blew my mind. God likes, God loves, I believe, to blow our minds. These are the kinds of prayers, these are the type of acknowledgments, I believe, that move the hand of God. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you. Why? He tells us. For you will answer me. Among the gods, there's none like you, Lord. Nor are there any works like your works. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Who's in control of the nations in your minds? As you see these nations just running wild doing all kinds of stuff. Who's in control? Verse 10, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. David then goes and cries out again to Jehovah. This is the third time in verses 11 to 15. He says in verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The cry, we might say, of our heart should also be, Lord, teach me your way. God, would you teach me your way? Which means that there's another way that we could go that may not be his way. You ever found yourself on that road? I don't think this was the path. <laughs> this wasn't God's path. This was my path. God, would you teach me your way? God, would you show me your way? Because your way is always best. You ever come to find that out? God's way always is the best. 
And if we really want to know what his ways are, when we call in and we're willing to wait upon him to show us, we usually come out feeling, man, that was good. Wow, I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I didn't go my way. Teach me your way, O Lord. David also prays, he says, unite my heart to fear your name. To let our heart be united with the heart of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. That my heart might be united with God's heart. That I might kind of fall in line with the heart of God. That's a great place to be in. But it's only after David makes those prayers before the Lord that he's able to then go on to pray in verse 12. He says, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all of my heart. And I will glorify your name forever. Now he's beginning to praise God. But he says, I want to praise you with all of my heart. He says in verse 13, For great is your mercy towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart and will glorify your name forever. The difference between somebody that is united in heart with the Lord is a person that has a divided heart. You see, having a divided heart is that not all of me is in line with God. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Another way that can be translated is blessed are the undivided in heart. To be pure in heart, to be in fellowship, really in union with God in our hearts is a great place to be. Have you ever tried to worship God? Have you ever come to church or been in a place where maybe you were worshiping the Lord with other believers and you were doing it with a half heart? I mean, we might not have said that to ourselves, but we weren't all there. You know, our whole heart wasn't in it. Well, we were there, and we were even singing. But it was kind of half-hearted. You see, God, unite my heart with you. And if we were really united in heart in worship of our Lord, I, I, don't, I think we're going to be, it's going to be an awesome worship time. We're going to leave and go, wow, that was good. Why was it good? It wasn't because it was a great worship team. It was because that my heart was right. I was in union with the Lord. 
in communion and in worship and in fellowship. I was united in my praise and worship of Him. And it, and it just it flowed from my heart and it flowed from my lips. And it, and it was one of the best worship times I ever had. What made the difference? Because my whole heart was lined up with Him. For great is your mercy towards me. His goodness towards me is great. We know that David lived a life of danger. He, 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 he lived in a, in a place where he was on the run. He dealt with Goliath, Saul, the Philistines, Absalom, his son. He had, he had a life of where many prayers had to go out, crying out to God. In verse 14, O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. David, entrusting his enemies, entrusting all of these things before God. God, you're the one that has your hand upon me. You're the the one that that covers and, and holds me and watches over me. Verse 15, But you, O Lord, are full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. David here may have been thinking of the words of Moses as he said this in his prayer. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, after Moses had gone up on the mount, received the tablets, came back, saw all the people in idol worship and the golden calf and dancing and worshiping all this, and he throws the tablets down and he goes back up on the mountain again to receive that second set of tablets. And we read in Exodus 34, 6, after going up on the mountain a second time, where the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And we read in verse 6, And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. It was God revealing Himself in His very nature to Moses. Here's David, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. David learned, even from Moses, I want to close with the last two verses here. He says in verse 16, Oh, turn to me. It's part of his request before God. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. He says it again. What is it that was going on in David's life? That the need to say it this many, Lord, would you have mercy on me? Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. His, his mother, the son of your maidservant. He's speaking of David's mother. And you know what a what a what a hope for mothers. You know, as they, as they have their own kids and they're praying for them. The son of your and and save the son of your maidservant. He's calling out for God 
and His protection. Give me your strength, God. Where do you get your strength? Where does your strength come from? Paul says in Ephesians 6.10 that our strength comes from God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of what? His might. It's not my might. It's not what I muster up as a Christian. It's not like me churning the, you know, the wheel to get it going. We draw our strength from Him. We grow in strength from day to day in Him. Verse 17, show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because the Lord, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. David essentially is saying, Lord, may I, I may not see all the answers. I may not know how you're going to answer every prayer exactly, how you're going to bring it to, how it's going to come to pass. And I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that at times? You know, I, I don't always see it all right now. I've lifted these prayers. But would you give me a sign of hope? Would you give me just a, a little sign of hope? That you heard me, that you're working in this? And that maybe even that my enemies, that they would see that your hand is upon me. I'm a Christian and they know that. And that they would see that your hand is upon me. That you're my strength. You're helping me in life. In this desperate situation that I'm in as a Christian. And they know that I'm a Christian. And they're seeing you as a testimony before them. Let my life speak of a testimony that you're with me. May they see that it was you who helped me. It wasn't me helping myself, working my own thing out. But may they see that, God, you helped me. And you were the one that brought comfort to me in my time of need in my time of distress. May they see it. Great psalm. A lot in it. It's a lesson for us to to grab hold of of even approaching God in prayer. We don't have to pray it exactly that way, but God, let me get the essence of what is David is praying and how he's praying, how he's approaching you. And God, that my heart, my prayer life would be growing in that way.